0: Jesus we are here today for an encounter with you and we ask that by your spirit the divine God of the universe would reveal himself to us may we not leave here the same as when we came in amen Amen. you may be seated thank you Micah thank you band amazing Let's start today with a question. It's really easy to follow. What do you think about when you think about what God thinks of you? What do you think about when you think about what God thinks of you? Like, like what does God think of you? Do you ever wonder what his face looks like when he he looks at you and he thinks of you? Does he wear a frown? Does he have some disapproval for the way you've been behaving lately? You know, we are for a large part... uh, People who believe that God's pleasure and displeasure waxes and wanes based on what we do and do not do. That his frown or his smile comes and goes based merely on what you do in the moment. And so today's sermon is for each of us, me included. Today's sermon comes from one of the most amazing passages in the Bible. It's a story that Jesus himself tells And it gives us the clearest picture of the nature of God the Father. And it gives us a clear picture of us and our nature. We call this the big three in this series because it's the big three parables. And today is the prodigal son. And today in this parable, the prodigal son, Jesus is going to reveal that in this simple story, there is truth layered all throughout it. Truth for each of us. So whether you know this story or not, the Holy Spirit right now has something for each of you individually during this. And my prayer is that we respond to it. So before we start into the whole story, let's start in Luke 15 verses 1 and 2 because it tells us who is present. You can follow along in the Bible or you can read up here on the screens. In Luke 15 it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now those are some, whew, Tax collectors were the people who turned their back on their own culture and their own people. They were despised and sinners. Well, we know about sinners, don't we? But what he's saying here is that there's, there's um, the tax collectors and sinners there who are there to hear Jesus, but they're not the only ones. As it keeps going, it says also, uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The law is the word. The teachers of the word and the Pharisees. There's the, there's the sinners and there's the religious elite. And the religious elite muttered and said, this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. So we have in the, in the, uh, in the crowd all these different people and everybody in between. Luke 15, verse 11, we, we kick off. Jesus continues, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, from the people listening, from the worst tax collectors and sinners, to like the most righteous religious leaders. When they heard Jesus say this, that the son asked for his inheritance, they all gasped. What? (gasps) No, he didn't. Even the tax collectors would just turn around and say, this kid just isn't right. You don't say that. And it's very simple. When the son asks for his inheritance, when do you receive inheritance? When someone dies. He goes to his father and says, "Um, I've been waiting for you to die. You're just not very good at it, but I I really want my inheritance. He's saying, Dad, I care more about what you have to offer me than the relationship we have. Now remember, Jesus is teaching a parable, and there's connections all through it to each of our lives. And so the first thing to ask is, you know, is there part of me that says, I want what God offers? I like the benefits of, of my faith. But I'm not so much interested in the relationship. That's what the younger son wanted. He wanted the benefits. He wants his his father's dead to him. He wants his inheritance. Now, this is so shocking because in the ancient culture, the father literally could have had the son taken outside and stoned to death. At the least he could have said, You are out of the family. He could have exiled him. He would have, he, the, the son wanted the father dead, but in reality, the son, after saying this, would have become dead to his father and his family and the village, exiled away, and soon the son would have found himself in a far off land with no money and no way to support himself and perhaps fighting pigs for food. Who knows? But the father could have exiled him right there on the spot. But in this story that Jesus is telling us about the nature of God, the father, probably heartbroken, Divides it. It says he divided the property between them. He sells off a portion of the farm and gives it to his youngest son. Now, verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant land, distant country, and there he squandered his wealth with wild living. A distant country. This means the son took the cash and went to like a non-Hebrew country. In their culture, this would have been a place that was unclean. He went there and he squandered it in wild living. He went to the wrong city and did all the wrong stuff. Which sins did the youngest son commit? All of them. He committed all the sins. He denied himself nothing. Now, now in our culture, this would be like an 18-year-old um, getting his money and going to, to Sin City, to Vegas, and doing some wild living. Because I mean, honestly, if you told me that that you went to Newcastle and squandered all your money, I wouldn't be too worried about you. I'm like, oh, <laughs> did you buy some hardware tools. Like, what'd you do? Like. But if you told me you went to Sin City and blew all your money, I would know you've seen some things that your mother doesn't know exist. You know, I would know. That context is what um, a foreign country, distant land, and wild living means. He went there and did it all. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, he spent all the money, he blew through it. There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. I mean, imagine the epic parties this kid threw. He would go into the club and just make it rain, you know? He, I mean, he, he would order the, the bottles to the VIP. He had a lot of, in had an entourage of Klingons who would just enjoy the fruits of his father's money. And that's not a Star Trek reference. But, but soon, but soon the money dried up. And not only the money dried up, but the soil and the economy dried up as well. And the famine hit the whole country. And to the listeners, they're all shaking their heads. yep. This is what happens. Even, I mean, for the first time ever, the prostitutes and the, and the religious leaders are nodding at each other. Yep, Jesus is gonna tell us this kid's about to get what's coming to him. You can't do what he did and get away with it. Verse 15, there's the famine. So, so then the son went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, a foreigner, who sent him to, a field, to the field to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods of the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And at this, the crowd would have gasped and recoiled. <gasps> He could, even those in the crowd who were really good at sinning would have been like, oh no, he didn't. I mean, right here, the audience would have known that this son is beyond all hope of redemption. He's completely ruined. He is completely lost, completely unclean. And their culture, you can't go much lower than this. You tell your father, the patriarch, you're dead to me. I want your money. Then you go and you spend the money and do everything you shouldn't do. Then, after that, you run out of money and you start working for a foreigner feeding the swine. Feeding and eating the swine. Not feeding. Feeding and eating with the swine. The animal the Hebrews were to avoid at all costs. Everyone listening is now offended at this kid's actions. There's nothing he's done right so far. He's done everything possible to ensure that there is no returning from all that you have done. I mean, not even the tax collectors are sitting there whispering, maybe he still has a chance. No, he is beyond, there's no more chances. Culturally, what he's done is catastrophic. You don't come back from something like this. Verse 17, When he came to his senses, I love how this verse starts out. Have you ever had one of those moments where you just came to your senses? You had a moment of divine clarity? Now, oftentimes we get these moments um, at rock bottom, when we are at the very bottom and we see all that we have done. But sometimes the Holy Spirit gives us a divine clarity to see the path we're on and to see where it's headed we have a chance to come to our senses or you have a moment to see you find yourself in a doing things you never thought you would do in a place you never thought you would be and how did I get here how did I become this person A come to your senses moment he has one of those he has this moment of clarity the son came to his senses and said how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death This son is in a dead-end job with with no hope that things will improve. He's at the end of his rope, at the end of his money. Took the last job he could find. But he remembers something. He remembers that even the servants ate better than he is. Perhaps he could return and be a waiter or a a ranch hand or somebody that, that helps out. At least he could have some food and a hope He remembers his father's house where there's always food and always a bed and always hope for tomorrow, but you don't just return to your father's house after all that he's done, but he's so desperate. He has nowhere else to turn, so he comes up with a plan, and with his plan, he comes up with a speech. Verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Listen, he isn't worthy to be a son, and he knows it. He knows this. He's coming home empty handed. He's lost everything. But he must think if I can come back and be a hired hand, at least I can slowly just pay my dad back. I need to pay. And are we all, we're still like this. We still try to pay for, for, our, for our sins or pay for something. We, we, we pay for penance. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to, to fully engage in our heart that forgiveness and grace are free. We've been away from God and we consider coming back or we consider coming to God for the first time. We often have these kind of pig pen plans this kid has. Oh, I'll go to church I'll pay my dues and I'll never do that sin again. Like we, we have these things, we, we'll do it all. And some religions even play into this and they, they give you penance to pay for your sin. So you feel like you're doing something about it. We can't fathom forgiveness being free because somebody has to pay, right? Somebody has to pay. The son is in the pig pen and comes up with this plan to skulk back to his dad give this flowery speech and hope he can just be a servant. So he got up and he went to his father. Now can you imagine this walk home? Can you imagine the emotions that the boy is going through? I bet he replayed the last conversation he had with his father over and over on those many miles back home, he thought of when he told his dad, I I want the money. And he saw the the hurt in his dad's eyes. And he thought back through all that he did with the money and then when he lost it and where he's ended up, he knew he didn't deserve grace. But he also knew he had nowhere else to go. He He rehearsed his speech a thousand times on those days' walks. But while he was still a long way off, verse 20 tells us, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. You know, many years ago, his father had watched him on that same path walk away and disappear over the horizon. His father had watched it. And there he is. Jesus tells us that the father is watching the path. You ever wonder what the father in this story is watching for? Ever wonder what he's looking for? Now remember, Jesus said, this is the nature of our God. This is a story to reveal the heart of the divine God of the universe. So we have to ask the question, why is God watching the path? He longs to see his boy. His lost son. So he watches and he waits. This is the nature of our God. God. This is the heart of the creator, divine God of the universe. And it tells us, this little nugget tells us about him. I wonder how often the father was there watching that horizon. We we were taking the story, it could be constantly or perhaps every day he would go out there and sit in his chair and just watch the path. He hadn't given up on his son. He didn't despise his son, though his son despised him. This is simply a daddy who misses his boy. Now, think of all that the son is experiencing. Think of the nerves the boy is feeling as he crests that last hill to go down toward the estate. Think of what the son expects. He might think he'll run into one of the other servants, or even worse, his older brother, who will probably stone him on sight for what he did to the family. And if he did see his dad, you know what he expects. He expects, arms folded, brow furrowed, a frown. he will see his son, he'll turn his back. Send me a clear message. You're not welcome here, son. You uh, you told me that I was dead to you. And you're dead to me. That's what he's expecting. And I'm gonna ask you again, um, what do you believe God's face looks like? when he looks at you, when he thinks of you? Does he wear a frown when you think of him? You know, based on a lot of the stuff we've done or it's been done to us, we think that God's arms are crossed, brows furrowed. He's wearing a frown, shake of the head. You show up here filthy from your previous life. You have messed up so bad. Go pay some penance. Go make it right. Go get clean show me your sorry, and then maybe we can talk. That's what we think God offers us. What does God's face look like? What expression is he wearing when you come over that hill? Well, back to the story, the son comes over the hill and the father looks up the long path and he sees a silhouette. He sees a silhouette and he knows. You see, he raised this boy from youth. He knows how his boy walks. He knows that's his son. He recognizes that walk. Now, yeah, it's a little more stooped over, but he knows that is my son. And the boy looks down and sees his father there on the deck. He knows his father, he knows his chair. And he sees his father, and he sees his father looking up at him. And this is it, the moment of truth, heart pounding. As he sees his father and his father sees him, what's my dad gonna do? How is he gonna respond? Each of us come in here with the past. We each come from a past, recent or history of things that we are not proud of that we are doing. We come in here with with things below the surface that no one knows about us. Woundedness, insecurities, secret sins, things that we are not proud of. And we always wonder, what is God's reaction to these things? How do we believe God responds to sons and daughters who have gone away and racked up sin and messed it up? Well, as the boy looked down at his father and they see each other, to the boy's horror, the father steps off the deck and then starts running toward him. And you know the son is thinking, oh no, he is so angry. He's not gonna even let me on the property the father begins to run toward the son. Now culturally, in this Hebrew patriarchs, they did not run. This would be very uncouth. A father would have to pick up his robes and, and legs that had never seen the son in decades would be flashing as he ran. Patriarchs did not run. This would be considered extraordinarily undignified. What is Jesus telling us here about God. And listen, even if a father did have to run, do you certainly know who the father would never run towards? A sinful son who wishes I was dead? See, honor would require that that son come in here and crawl in and present himself to me. I don't run to that son. He crawls back to me. But here in this story, the father begins to run. He throws off all the human rules, throws off all everything out the window because he had been longing to see his boy. This father was willing to suffer humiliation just to reach his son a few seconds quicker. And Jesus' story is It's revolutionary. It's revolutionizing the way people view God the Father. Think of the way you view God. Do you view him like this? He's showing us the heart of God, the heart of God for his sons and, and his daughters. But, but the boy doesn't know the father's heart at this moment. The boy's stomach sinks. Oh, gosh, my father's running at me. When he gets here, he's going to tell me what I'm worth. And he does. He's about to tell his boy what he's worth. a lot of religion has taught us that God comes to us with a frown. Even worse, a lot of religion has taught us that God doesn't come to us at all, that we have to crawl back to him. But as the boy watched the father get closer, he sees his dad's face come into view. And there's no anger, and there's no disapproval, but there are tears and a smile. And before the son can even connect the dots of what's happening, his father reaches him and wraps him up in a hug and says, my son! In verse 20, but while the son was a long way off, the father saw him and filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And there's a great Greek word here that um, with this, this term filled with compassion, it's this word splachnizomai. Say that Splock needs am I." beautiful word. Splock needs am And what it means, it means to be moved from the deepest part of your being. So when it says that the father sees his broken son and he stands up and from within him, from the deepest core of who he is, from the truest part of his nature, compassion comes out, and he runs to his boy. What is this telling us about our God? That from the core of his nature, he sees his broken sons and daughters and runs toward us. This is the heart of the God who created you. This is the heart of God. And if you have become convinced through your life and through your sins and your penance and you're trying to make it work that there's a frown I want you to see that Jesus is revealing to us today the nature of the Father's love and grace for you. This is for you. Yes, you who's trying to excuse yourself based on your sin, this is for even you. So now the son is being wept over by his father, but he has this religious speech prepared. So he kicks it off in verse 21. The, father, or the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I don't even know if the father heard any of this speech at all. I don't know if it even registered because he interrupts the well-rehearsed words with words of his own. But we all kind of do this. When we come back to God after being away for a while or we come to God for the first time, like we come with a speech prepared. With some words we don't normally use to help God kind of understand, maybe some religious words. But the father interrupts that. He interrupts the son. The father said to his servants in verse twenty-two. The father said to his servants, "Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet." And these three things mean something very beautiful. You see, sandals. Sandals are not for slaves and servants. They are barefoot. He's saying, "Give him shoes." This is my son. He will not be a servant here. The ring, this is the signet ring of the family. Let there be no question of whether he is in the family or not. With this ring also comes authority. It's the family crest. You can press it into wax. You can send out things. He's giving the son this ring. He's saying, I trust you. You are my son and you have the authority of my son. And then he says, bring me the robe. But the double emphasis in the Greek here means bring me that best robe. It's it's he's talking about he's talking about a robe. Servants, bring me that robe. You know the one, that best robe. Whose robe is he talking about? Whose robe is he calling for? The best robe in the house would have been his own. Bring me that best robe. Bring me my robe. He is mine. I will cover my son with my royalty and my glory. Listen, Jesus is being very, very clear here. If you come to God, it doesn't matter what you've done, what sins you committed, how far you've gone, or if you've never been to church. When you return, he receives you, not just as some lowlife who needs help. He puts his garments of his family on your back. Catch this. When the son comes home, he's probably filthy. Think of what is covering him based on his previous job. He's in rags. He has no shoes. He's filthy. He's smelly. And the father puts the the robes of the father over the rags of the son. Do you know what he did not make him do? He didn't make him go clean up his act before coming over here. He didn't make him go take a bath before you get to wear the robe. He didn't, so go get your stuff together, go clean up your act, go get dry, and then, then come back, and then I'll give you this. No, 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 no. He gave him the robe while he was still in the rags. God does not expect you to clean up your life to come to him. He never said, go clean it all up and get sober and do this and do that and do this and do that and then, then then present yourself presentable and I'll decide. He never said that. You come in your rags, you come in whatever condition you're in, you come whatever you've been through, whatever you're going through in that condition and he says, my son, my daughter, you don't have to clean up to come to him. The robe of royalty over rags of a past life. What an offer of God. This is what redemption is. The boy's best plan, the best the boy could come up with, like us, is to, to, to somehow work his way back in as a servant. But in the father's house, this wasn't even a possibility or a consideration Jesus is telling us about his father, our father, and as in his kingdom, when we come to him, we are sons and we are daughters. You don't skulk into his presence and be a busboy in the church in the kingdom, paying for your mess-ups, trying to get your star chart back up so you're acceptable. No, you're his child, fully forgiven, fully loved. Doesn't depend on your do's and do nots. Doesn't depend on how far you've been. It's an identity. You are his son. You are his daughter in Jesus. Put a ring on his finger and stand on on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. The fattened calf was like the meal. That's the big one they celebrate with. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. A father calls for a party. And the word here for alive again is this word anaseo. And anaziel means to be restored to full life. Restored, brought back to life, full life. And this is one of the greatest offers of God. You see, some people think the greatest offer of God is that someday I'm gonna go to heaven. But I believe the greatest offer of God is today. See, he gives us forgiveness in our past, peace and joy in our present, and hope for the future. God's offer is not eternal life someday. It's his life today. What a beautiful offer that is. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is the message of Jesus. This is the father of Jesus, that Anaziel being restored to full life and full purpose. Listen, it gives us a destiny here on earth and then it gives us a destination once we leave it. So what about you? Maybe you've wandered far from God. Maybe there's some areas in your life where you are far removed. Maybe you're here and you never left God because you never joined him. Where does that leave me? God takes his robe and puts it over the worst things we've done. He, he makes us a full son, a full daughter. He puts his ring of authority on the very hands that turned against him. He puts shoes on our feet. We're not slaves in his house. We're not servants. We are his children. He picks us up and he stands us up and he cleans us up and he gives us purpose. He throws us a party and this is the gospel of Jesus. This is the good news of Jesus. Not someday, Today. This is the beauty of this parable as Jesus is showing us who his father is. Listen, and here's the the big deal. I asked you earlier that somebody had to pay, right? We want penance because someone has to pay and someone did pay and that was Jesus. Jesus died and resurrected so that there is a path to the father. Jesus is the path to the father. And so when God watches that path, he's watching to see as we respond to Jesus and come to Jesus as he calls us. That is the path we come to God the Father on, the path of the son who gave his life, who laid it down, who paid our debt, who paid for all of our sins so that we don't have to. So prodigal sons and daughters, prodigal sons and daughters, today maybe is the day to come home. For many of us, it might be time for a bold decision because we have been thinking of God in terms of frowns and disapproval, but maybe your father just wants you to come home. Maybe when you come home, you think you have to explain everything and why you did it and then play catch up and do a bunch of stuff. But maybe you just come home. In God's kingdom, because of Jesus, all is forgiven. All is forgiven whatever tries to disqualify you in your heart and mind, all is forgiven because of Jesus. We don't have to work our way into his house because Jesus did the work for us. And so I'm gonna ask us to be very bold today because I believe there's two groups of people here and the first group of people are those of us who who we at some point have decided we do have faith in Jesus, we believe in Jesus. Maybe a youth camp many years ago or maybe yesterday, whenever it was, but you have decided Jesus is your savior. But you've wandered in some area of your life or just maybe you've wandered into indifference. But today you're struck again with the beauty of God the Father and how Jesus opened the path for us. And listen, today he's asking you, my son, my daughter, I want you to come home. All is forgiven and if that is you today, I want to ask you to stand up because I want to pray for you. I want you to stand up so we can pray. (coughs) Today, that you would reaffirm the decision you made however long ago. Today, that you reaffirm this is my gospel, and this is my God, and here is my heart. And he says, all is forgiven. Just place your hand over your heart. Repeat after me if you would. Jesus. My life is yours. You called me, and I answer. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for welcoming me home. My life is yours. Fill me anew with your spirit in Jesus name amen you can be seated there's another group of us in here and this group of people um, you would you would know that you've never had a moment where you trusted Jesus as your savior you may have been around church or religion but you have not had that moment where you said he is my savior I give my life to him you've not had that moment yet but God is calling you to a home you've never been to before he's calling you home And so this morning, if you are here, and maybe you have never had this moment where you have prayed to receive Jesus, but today, based on the revelation of Jesus talking about his dad and the nature of his father, you see that God the Father is not frowning at you. He's calling you home for the first time. My son, my daughter, all is forgiven. And if you're here today and you have never made that decision, but you would like to, I'm gonna ask you to be bold. I'm gonna ask you to stand up as well so that I can pray with you. If that is you, please stand. Thank you. Anybody else? Let's pray. Let's all stand together. I want you to pray this prayer with your lips and I want you to, in your heart of hearts, may you sink deeply into it. Repeat after me, Jesus, I know you died and resurrected. I give you my heart. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the word says, in this chapter, Jesus says these words, that when One person returns to repentance. It says there's an eruption in heaven, a party, an applause, as heaven sees redemption has come to earth. And so today, let us join heaven briefly. And so now we respond in a new way. We have um, our communion. This is the symbol of Jesus' broken body in his blood and at our church at the orchard you don't have to take a class or anything Jesus said take this in remembrance of me if you want to remember him You're free to come grab it, take it. And as you sit in your chair, remember that his body was broken, his blood was shed to make a path to the Father that all could be forgiven. And then let us respond with singing and praising to our Father. If you are here and you have a prayer request or based on what we've talked about today, if you want to pray, if you missed out on a prayer time, but you want to pray, you want to talk to me about it, we'll have some people over here, we'll have some over here. Please come forward. We'd love to pray blessing over you, whatever you would need. But let's enter in this moment and ask God what he has for us. Amen.